He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's, want to give them a wide berth. What is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in other worlds. We'll start this time with the off-season version of Aubrey McKay as a basketball coach. I don't come bearing good news. This one was bad, guys. We lost. This is the regional semifinal home game against a team that we beat by like probably like 30 points earlier in the year, but their best player got in foul trouble. So that it was a bit of a fluke that we beat them like that. This one was tough. We could have made it to the final four playing in the Lakeland center, which is a big deal around here. And we're not doing that. If I'm being honest, when we lose, it's bittersweet. It's always sad because I love coaching basketball, but also I get my life back. So that's great. This one was just sad. These kids really cared about like each other. There was a lot of crying from them. It was tough to deal with. That plus the the content selections in the in the movies I watched for prep made this a really rough time. But I'm making up for it in my film class in which we've started Propaganda 101 because I have made them watch the animated Aladdin. They are now watching the live action Aladdin and their writing prompt will be, is there a reason for the live action Aladdin to exist? <laughs> if you say no in one word in your paper, you... You get an A+. Plus. Yep. Congratulations. While I agree with you there, Aubrey, I, my one you know, compliment of that movie is I thought Will Smith did a good job with his role. I was pleasantly surprised that he made it his own. Try to one-up the legendary performance of Robin Williams. I won't argue that it was necessary. Outside of the way that he looks, I agree. He does a good job considering he's asked to do something impossible. Yeah. yeah. However... I do not expect a single kid to bring that level of nuance because we watch these literally back to back. So like, <laughs> no, we fit We have to watch them obviously broken up throughout the course of days, but they finished the animated one today and I immediately started the next one and they watched the first 20 minutes. So <laughs> when you see those two compared right next to each other, it's going to make it really hard for someone to be like, he did a good job because Robin Williams. Yeah, it's jarring. It's so good. I'm all the way back in. Case. I'm incredibly depressed because I lost a shitload of money on Florida high school basketball. I went all in on, on Santa Fe. I took a road trip to Las Vegas so I could put my bets in because I didn't trust them to be placed properly. And I lost a lot of time and money on my fandom. And I can't wait for next year. Next year is going to be the year, Aubrey. We're going to do it. hope so. Hey, John, how how were the bets looking in Vegas for the uh, Santa Fe Catholic men's basketball team? <laughs> Minus 900 favorites to win. So, yeah, the sports folks, the sports folks cleaned up on that. A lot, a lot of broken hearts. That's what I'm hearing. A lot of broken hearts. Guys, we were the two seed. Nothing new on my end. Excited to hear this wild and fascinating career. To a person that I was the only one on the podcast that heard of ended last. So, so I'm excited to hear... The growth that you guys have experienced over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, as we transition to to James, my favorite part of editing the last episode was when we got into that portion, and I say Deborah Winger, and James goes, "I don't know who Deborah Winger is," and Corey goes, "There's a reason for that." 
my favorite moments <laughs> leading into this. And accurate. So speaking of, James. Absolutely accurate. Update on my end is Lucy Lou Jr. has recently learned how to climb out of her crib. <laughs> it was fun to watch. You know, she's she's coordinated a little one. And I watched her bring a toy, like a box toy, over to her crib step on it then step on like where we keep her diapers and climb it like a ladder and just like hop up there super quick and i was like "Uh oh and so i removed the toy and when she got back down she was like oh i could just do it without the toy i was like oh god all right well we're buying you a big girl bed because clearly you have figured out age that we keep you in and it's officially night two of her in a big girl bed bad for you good for her <laughs> yeah you just don't expect them to be as athletic as they are at such a young age Rib. Only one person to blame here, and that's you and your athletic genes. You need to reconcile with that. I was going to ask, where did the athleticism come from, mom or dad? Yeah, there is a very clear athletic gene in my family that clearly missed me. If she has that, God bless, I might not have to pay for college. <laughs> but I can't say it's from me. I'd be like, well, that's from my aunt or my cousin. Like, that's, that's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of athleticism... In, uh, in my world, I, I know the update everybody wants is my beer league hockey team or hockey league that I'm in. We do a draft for every session. And so the draft was last night. And if you're clocking at home, last session, I finished third on my team in points, but was drafted in the 12th round out of 13 rounds. And I had a little chip on my shoulder because of that. I'm happy to report last night I was drafted in the 10th round. Hell yeah. So my value has skyrocketed significantly, but with that comes a little pressure, and I don't know if I really like it. I wouldn't expect anything more. That's really what the people came for. But actually, what people really came for is John Rigby, because he is our featured guest for this episode. John lives in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is why we're picking his brain on what's going on in the betting world, where he works as an attorney. He's a graduate of the UCLA School of Law. He was previously with us for the Allison Janney, William Hurt, Laura Linney, and Matt Dillon episodes. And if his name sounds familiar, he's the twin brother of that traitor, Mark Rigby, who has decided to step away. Just kidding. Uh, Mark's very busy with his work life. So we just do the best thing we can do and bring in his twin brother again for his sixth appearance. Welcome back to the pod, John. How's it going? Thanks, Kyle. Happy to uh, have the uh, better looking and smarter rig join the podcast once again. <laughs> yeah, I think I got back from Mexico for a week, so nothing to report otherwise except busy busy professionally and, and personally with the trip. So happy to be here. Were you doing Deborah Winger research in Mexico? That's the commitment. No, I actually watched uh, the movie that tasked with on the on the plane back. Ooh. I don't think that made much of an impact on my on my feelings for it. The movie is bad enough as is in any format, but I, I was prepping for the episode when I was down south. I, I feel bad for the 12 year old named Timmy who's looking over your shoulder watching Nick, a really bad Nick Nolte film. Let me tell you. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad. We'll get to that later. But John, I have a question. Have you ever seen Beer Fest? No, I know of the oh. Broken Lizard people, but I've never seen Beer Fest. Well, in it, one of the one of the characters dies, and he's off screen for like maybe thirty seconds before his twin brother shows up and says, "I want to be part of the group, and you guys can call me by his name." <laughs> And I was wondering if we could just do that with you and pretend that Mark's here with us today. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. What a throwback. <laughs> All right, so you get to be a Rigby the rest of the way, just so you're aware. I'm ready for it. I've been prepping for this my whole life. That is funny. Can we call you Landfill? <laughs> They're not that drunk. Oh, I watched that movie so much when I was a kid, more than I should ever have. Let's get to Deborah Winger. 
Birthday is February 29th, so this episode's coming out on Leap Day, which, as you guys can imagine, celebrity birthdays aren't great for Leap Day. A shocker, the day that comes around once every four years. So, I sent a few of these in the chat, and let's see if you guys can guess their birthday. So, first and foremost, Joss Ackland. He's known for The Hunt for Red October, Lethal Weapon 2, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, what I know him from, Mighty Ducks 1 and 3. How old... Well, Joss is dead, but if he was alive today, how old would Joss Ackland be? What a start. Are you sure he's dead? Yeah, he died in November of 2023, so very recently. Is he the South African villain in Lethal Weapon 2 or one of them? He played Arjun Rudd. Oh, yeah, Rudd. Yeah, yeah. he's got to he, be. Um, yeah. He's the guy who owns the skate shop. Owns the skate shop. That's who he is. He was like 100 years old when that movie came out. He's not the skinny one from the second one, D2. He's the bigger guy. Yeah, Aubrey, you're right. He was very old then, so there's hard to guess because at a certain point he stopped having birthdays. So let's see. <laughs> I told you. How old was he now? If death wasn't guaranteed and we could all live forever, how old with Hans from Mighty Ducks be? <laughs> That's right. What I love is Kyle's face as we're talking about this because it's a combination of like, <laughs> I know this is stupid, guys, and how come you don't understand this, which is my face every single day. Teaching, yep. It's 100% what you're dealing with. All right. So how old would Joss Ackland be if he didn't die in November of 2023? Oh, not that long ago. Since we're living in a fairy tale land, 28. <laughs> I'm genuinely shocked he died in November. 93. <laughs> I think Aubrey's on the right path here. I think he just looked really old in the early 90s. I think he's eight, 89. I'll go old. I'll say 90, 98. We're going to give this one to the guy who always knows white people's ages, and that is <laughs> Aubrey, because he is he would have turned 96 if he was still alive today. I have a strategy, guys, and it worked. But John was close. Don't get me wrong. So speaking of old white guys who have recently passed, let's see if Aubrey can do it again. Dennis Farina, who died in 2013. Um, he was known for movies like Get Shorty, Snatch, Little Big League, one of my favorites, and Midnight Run. How old would Dennis Farina be today? He was in Law and Order. He worked as a he worked as a Chicago police detective. Yeah, for a long time before his acting career as well. Super interesting. He he was like best friends with Michael Mann. Mm-hmm. His first movie was Thief. I know that. Yeah, he was Detective Joe Fontana in Law and Order. Got nothing for this one. I like Farina. Everything I see him, and he plays like a good, like, either, obviously, cop isn't a big stretch for him, but he also plays like a good, like, sleaze ball. Yeah, he's a dick. He, he could play an asshole really well. Yeah. 83, if he was alive today, my guess is he died at 73. Give me 81. 92. I'm going to go younger. I just feel like this guy was like 55 when he came out of the womb and just looked like that. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I'm going to go with he would be 76. Dennis Farina, if he was alive today, rest in peace, would be 80. So I think Rigby gets that one. Nice. Yeah, I was over. Aubrey was one over. Sorry, Aubrey. Suck a butt. (laughs) Okay, last one. This guy is alive. Last I checked. I have not looked at his Wikipedia page recently. But Jesse Usher, who is in Level Up, Survivor's Remorse, and probably most recently on The Boys. How old is Jesse Usher? A striking young African American gentleman. Who was he on the boys? Yeah, he plays A Train on the boys. Oh, okay. Not my favorite performance in that show. He's fast. Very cool opening scene. He's fast. 
like I said, slim pickings. 34. Oh, oh, I think James is right around where it's at. The problem is James hit it right where I was thinking. So you got to go first. <laughs> and then do it. Say 34. Double down. Give him a tight window. Say 35. So I'm going to go with my gut. He's 35. That's what I'm going with. That's my gut was 35. So that's what I'm going with. Awful tight window, James. 38. I'll pick 31. Jesse Usher is turning 32. So Rigby again with the win. Man. I have no idea who this guy is. I'm disappointed with myself. It's a Rigby. I don't, we don't know shit about uh, superhero anything. <laughs> we don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> well, happy birthday to those individuals alive and dead and anybody else who happens to be unlucky enough to have a birthday on Leap Day. Uh, five actors we threw onto the wheel for this here episode 97. We've got Hugh Grant, Bill Hader, John Krasinski, Daniel Kaluuya. And it didn't matter because the wheel was a he man, woman hater and chose Deborah Winger. Uh, none of those gentlemen were chosen. And so John Rigby came to join us to talk a little Deborah Winger. Deborah Winger has 49 credits on her resume, but it feels like she has more than 49, which is going to make for an interesting conversation, at least from my take and my perspective. But otherwise, she only has a couple of producer credits, so she hasn't done a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff that we've seen lately from other performers. So before we get into the, the minutia and start talking about her early life, we always start with some actor trivia to see if James can stump us Fast and Furious style. So Rigby, you're part of the initiated, both you and your deceased brother. But for those of you listening at home, uh, I'm about to read three facts about Deborah Winger. Two of them are going to be true about her. One of them is not going to be true about her, but is going to be true about one of the many illustrious cast members of the Fast and Furious franchise. The guys here are going to guess which one that is. Fact number one, while dressed as a troll for a job at an amusement park, she fell off a truck suffered a cerebral hemorrhage, and was partially paralyzed and blind for 10 months. Fact number two. It became famously difficult to work with. In another actor's memoir, they claimed that during a tense moment between them on set, she had, quote, turned around, walked away, lifted her skirt slightly, looked over her shoulder, bent over, and farted in my face. <laughs> Fact number three. She named one of her children Babe Ruth. And calls him Babe for short. Oh boy, good grief! Uh, I'm going to go with fact number two because everybody knows that that was the Super Bowl darling Ludacris who farted in somebody's face on one of the <laughs> Fast and Furious movie sets. That's a tremendous guess. I mean, it's clearly fact two because that's about Helen Mirren, which I don't really think is to be true, but it would be hilarious if it were. Yes, <laughs> Dame Helen, the knighted Academy Award winner. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, I'm really painted in a corner here. Give me fact one and Ja Rule, because that's where he's been these past like 10 or 15 years. <laughs> oh, so that's the answer to where is Ja? Where is Ja? It's got to be, right? He was dressed as a troll <laughs> at an amusement park. <laughs> <laughs> it's been worse falls from grace. Let's go with the last one. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that's Kurt Russell's unknown child. I think he played baseball. Uh, he did. That might be did. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with that's a fact that belongs to Kurt Russell, big time baseball guy. Since we guessed across the board, I will go in order here. Uh, fact number one: While dressed as a troll for a job at an amusement park, 
Uh, she fell off a truck, suffered a cerebral hemorrhage, and was partially paralyzed and blind for 10 months. And that is true. She was actually even told by the doctors that she would never see again. Uh, while that ended up not being the case, it did spur her and motivate her to kind of chase her dreams since she felt like she was given a second chance at life. Uh, she decided that if she was going to fully recover, she would move to California and become an actress. Obviously, the rest is history. Fact number three, she named one of her children Babe Ruth and calls him Babe for short. So Deborah has two sons, uh, one with each of the men that she had married. She has two ex-husbands. Her son, who she had with actor-director Arliss Howard, whom she met on the film of Wilder Napalm. His name is Gideon Babe Ruth Howard, known as Babe. Just so. Yeah. Quite a name. Anytime I see a celebrity with a weird named child, I have to mention it. And it makes sense because he played the newscaster at the end of the Sandlot, playing the older version of Anchor from the Sandlot. So I was like, get at That's who that is? Oh my God. That's Arliss Howard, yeah. He loves Babe Ruth. And fact number two, good guess with Ludacris, but actually guys, all three facts are true about Deborah Winger. She is a absolute wild story to learn about. Uh, she became so famously to, famously difficult to work with that there's actually a documentary called Searching for Deborah Winger that Rosanna Arquette put on uh, in which she interviews some of the like largest starlets in Hollywood to talk about Deborah Winger and how she was the three-time Academy Award-nominated actress in her mid-30s who just stopped acting. Famously, she got into a fight with Shirley MacLaine on the set of Terms of Endearment and... Sherlyn McLean wrote in her memoir that Winger farted in her face. When asked about it, Winger did not deny it. <laughs> but she didn't she didn't say it was true, but she also didn't she said there was some truth to the story. <laughs> Their feud was actually so public that both of them were nominated for Best Actress uh, for their roles in terms of endearment. And during her Oscar acceptance speech, McLean commented on Winger and said, like, I deserve this. She's like, maybe half's yours, but like, I deserve this. And like, kind of called her out. So that's how public their feud was, where they're about to win the prestige award in their careers and they're still kind of talking shit to each other. Gotta respect it. She just went up like a thousand points in my month and year, just based on the facts two and three alone. <laughs> forget, forget her filmography. I'm here for the, I'm here for these. <laughs> you gotta keep in mind, there's like a, tw- there's a 20 year age difference. Like, She's farting on an elder's face. <laughs> she was way ahead of the curve with coming up with a unique name for a child, beefing with co-stars, and just all the other crazy shit that uh, that she supplied us with. All right, James. Appreciate you, man. Always clutch. Mm-hmm. All sorts of interesting things about Deborah DW. All right, Case. What do we got for a snapshot in box office? As Kyle mentioned earlier, she doesn't have a ton of credits and being that she was prevalent mostly the 80s and then you know in the 90s so it's a pretty bland profile i will say though that two of her biggest movies are probably in our top maybe 25 or 30 movies on return on investment and that is terms of endearment with an eight million dollar budget pulling in a hundred mil right before that she decided to do officer and a gentleman for 7.5 mil and uh, world gross 130 million. So she really probably put her high on the list of an actress that directors and producers wanted to get. From a budget standpoint, her average film budget 
He ranks 96th. But again, you look at in the 80s and 90s, she just wasn't in a ton of big budget films. Speaking of 96, her total box office ranks 96th. Her star meter, which, <laughs> not a surprise, 2,762, which pulls her in at 81st. Critic and fan ranking, she's 42 and 54. A critic ranking average of 57.8 and a fan ranking of 59.1. I thought the critic ranking was a little bit lower than... But then, like I said, she has two really good money-based box office metrics where she's ranked 28th and 21st on our box office rankings, which gives her a final ranking, 53 out of 97. Right in the middle. Yeah. That seems actually pretty accurate, considering like she hasn't done a ton. She's had big impact for what she's done, but also is like disappeared from the scene for chunks out of a time. Yeah. I think the 96 are both kind of shocking because... I know the 80s box office numbers aren't as juiced up as more recent movies, but, you know, $8 million budget that gets over 100 I figured that would, that number would be a little higher when it comes to her rankings. She was actually the opposite of what I thought she was going to be. I thought her box office metrics were going to be really low, and her critic and fan ranking was going to be really high. And so the two of them flipped on me. Hmm. I would have imagined she would have been a little higher. That would have been a higher number. Being in the middle kind of surprises me. Just, there's no like animated movies on here. There's nothing to kind of pump up the box office. She has some duds in that filmography. Uh-huh. And like how many people, who knows her? Yes. And I mean, I say that with no disrespect, but like how many people know who she is? Not James. Uh-uh. I know that for sure. Or me. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know. Interesting story because she was so hot out of the gate and got so many acknowledgments for her performance at a young age that like i bet if you ask the baby boomers generations about her they're like oh i love deborah winger oh my god i loved her i loved her whatever happened to her and that's the that's the most fascinating part of the story mm-hmm. it's almost the exact conversation i had with my mom oh for real <laughs> before she started recommending me 80s movies yep she was just i said deborah winger and my wife goes what my mom goes oh she's great You'd probably like, you got to watch Urban Cowboy. Boom. <laughs> watch Urban Cowboy. <laughs> yeah. She's like, have you fucking seen John Travolta in that? Unbelievable. Secondary quote. I grew up watching Grease from like when I was six years old. I love that movie because I've watched it so many times. Mm-hmm. She said, and I quote, I can't tell you if the movie's any good, but John Travolta looks great. <laughs> I respect it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's bottle that up because we're going to get to Urban Cowboy in just a little bit. So for those who did see it or watch parts of it like me, we'll dig into it. So appreciate you, Case. Yeah, man. All right. Before we get to first major role, which is 1978, the early life of Deborah Winger. So some of the early stuff. And like I said, we're going to pe- pepper in as much as we can of the the off the screen stuff with Deborah, which is very fascinating to talk about. Uh, but she was born in Cleveland in 1955. Uh, might be our first Cleveland actor we've covered in 97 episodes. Somebody could correct me if they remember otherwise. But, hey, enjoy the land of Drew Carey, I guess. I could find a ton of stuff from her early days other than, like, basic family things, which isn't surprising with Deborah Winger because she's pretty closed off on, like, telling people too much about what's going on in her world. She's pretty private from that standpoint. And she seems to hate every interview she's ever been in. <laughs> yes. It is an impressive consistency. 40 years of fucking hating <laughs> interviews. Yeah, it's so interesting. She doesn't want to be there, and she makes it very well known. 
you know, she was probably the end of that era where they encouraged the stars to go and promote the film, where mm-hmm. now it's probably required. Yes. Oh, yeah. In my head, I'm, th- I'm imagining her walking into, like, the producer's office with her contract going, nowhere in my contract does it say I got to go on the goddamn David Letterman show. I ain't going. Like, yeah. I could imagine her doing that. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about her first major role was 78. She didn't do her first American talk show until after The Sheltering Sky in 1990 with Letterman. So she went 12 <laughs> years without touching. She did, like, a French one overseas, but... She was like, now this is my first time I've ever done it. She made a virgin joke with Letterman. So to James's point earlier at the age of 18, she got in that car crash, got that cerebral hemorrhage, partially paralyzed and blind for 10 months. That's not quite how you want to celebrate your 18th birthday, but she overcame it. She seems to be doing okay these days. But then Case, you you found that she was actually a waitress at the LA Improv in the, in the mid 70s, right? I've always known her to be connected to the comedy scene. And so for a long time, I actually thought she did some comedy because the New York improv was huge. And then they opened one in L.A. and she was one of the first like waitresses that worked there. And so then she got connected with all these other comedians. That's a pretty behind the scenes look at showbiz, the stand up comedy world. At the time where misogyny was running rampant, she got a really good clue as to what the hell was going on in that world, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Speaking of misogyny. (laughs) Her first ever on-screen role was in 1976's Slumber Party 57, which she played a character named Debbie, and that is a sexploitation film. And there is a 10-minute review of it on YouTube that I watched just before this. (laughs) So I didn't watch the movie, but I did watch a guy comment on it. And they kind of focus on these six young girls and their stories. Apparently, has a topless scene in there, and it's just like campy sexploitation. And I'm sure that was not a great way to start your career, but at least she got work. She vowed after that that she would never do another sex scene. I do not blame her one bit. And in case you're wondering, she got tricked into breaking that vow. And so you can understand why she might be pissed at certain directors and mm-hmm. cinematographers. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that same year, she did three episodes of Wonder Woman as Drusilla Wonder Girl between 76 and 77. I read that she passed on doing additional episodes because she was worried that she was going to basically be pigeonholed in her career if she continued to do this television show and to be like a superhero on TV, which I thought was interesting. Like for, for your second role ever to be like, nah, I'm good. That shows a level of like advocating for yourself that I think most actors across the gender spectrum, aren't doing two roles in. And we just came off Lucy Liu, who did, like, every TV show possible Yeah, for the first 10 years of her career. Did anybody come across anything with, with her and Linda Carter's relationship? I think Deborah Winger had actually been outspoken about not liking to work with Linda Carter, and Linda Carter was the one who was like, yeah, that just never came across when we were working together. Like, I always thought she was a pleasure to be around, and... I think it's more rumor than anything. And so like it, it, that rumor was out there, but it might've been out there after the fact when all the other stories about Deborah Winger kind of came out. And so it was like more of a confirmation bias because Linda Carter came out and was like, no, I always looked at her as like a, a little sister new to the industry that I wanted to like show the ropes. Okay. There's a reason that she didn't do interviews and that's because I'm sure censoring herself was not a strength No, in front of cameras. <laughs> yeah. She should have farted right in Linda Linda Carter's face. 
<laughs> Apparently, that's her way of showing affection. Between 77 and 78, she did some other small stuff. She did a couple one TV episode spots and a TV movie. But her first like high profile, I put that in all air quotes if you're listening from home or watching this on YouTube, uh, which thank you for listening if you're on YouTube and no longer on Google Podcasts. She dated Andrew Rubin from 77 to 1980, so for just a little, little over three years. I think they met at the comedy club. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, I believe he was a comedian. Looks like he died in 2015, another dead actor we talked about today. Wait, we? <laughs> <laughs> but that's going to lead to what we're going to call her first major role, because we're not going to do Slumber Party 57 like that. And that's Thank God It's Friday. She played Jennifer, a role that got her BAFTA and Golden Globe noms for Best New Star. And Case, as soon as he watched us, like the day after we said we we're doing Deborah Winger, and he was pumped. Actually, it was that night I had insomnia, and uh, I wanted to say, oh, how much money am I going to spend to watch this movie? And lo and behold, it was free. Thank God It's Friday is a wild ride, man. It was a 1978 musical comedy. And how I explain this movie to somebody that didn't understand what the word disco meant is I said, imagine. Taylor Swift wants to, she writes a song that she wants to basically create a one hour and 45 minute music video promotion vehicle for. That's what this was. Donna Summer is literally the biggest, I mean, she's the queen of disco. And it, this thing is, she is blown up all over the place. And so even now watching this movie, the last scene famously introduces the world to her song Last Dance. Last Dance. Almost single-handedly get her an EGOT because she won a Grammy, won an Oscar because of this movie, and she won a Golden Globe. I told you guys, we might have a first. We almost had an EGOT performer because of one song coming out of this movie. It's really wild. And some of the other less notable people, really, there, there's only two that we need to talk about. And that's Jeff Goldblum, who is in rare, super entertaining Jeff Goldblum mode, and Deborah Winger. Deborah Winger's character, there's about, what, what would you say, about four different subplots going on, Kyle? I think, I think five. She's one of the five subplots. Her and her friend are basically high school kids that break into this dance competition. They're underage, and they have to keep avoiding the bodyguards and all this stuff. And, and it's, it's pretty entertaining. What I would argue, well, the main subplot is Donna Summer keep trying to sneak into DJ Booth to play her song. That's obviously the number one plot. Jeff Goldblum is trying to be a homewrecker by breaking up a married couple because he has a bet with the DJ that he can sleep with this guy's wife. And then the next most important plot is, I think, or most enter entertaining plot, at least, is Deborah Wingers with her and her friend. I was trying to think about how I wanted to explain this movie. It sounded like a fever dream, so I'm not doing it justice, but it is a wildly entertaining movie to watch. The runtime on this movie is 89 minutes, which, first of all, rules, but it didn't feel more than 45 minutes. This movie flies by. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank God it's Friday. It's exactly, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It doesn't try to be anything it's not. It's a bunch of goofy subplots, like the husband of the wife who Jeff Goldblum's trying to get with. He, like, ends up on drugs and goes off the deep end. And almost hooks up with somebody. It's just a bunch of debauchery all surrounding this disco club. And then you get Last Dance by Donna Summer at the end. And it's yeah. 
it's it's pretty cool. And and I'll tell you, she stands out. I mean, granted, years later, you're like, oh, that's Deborah Winger. But yeah, you could see some dramatic flair. And that's why she got BAFTA and Golden Globe noms for Best New Star. Kyle, I'd be willing to bet that when the writers put together her storyline, it was fifth, probably. They're like, yeah, and then we'll do this. And then I think her performance storyline is not going to outshine the reason for this movie of <laughs> showcasing Last Dance. But, you know, and, and Jeff Goldblum, she's going to have a hard out acting him at this point. Her, She was really good and entertaining. And the one thing I will say, I think she's best in comedic roles. More so than the rom-coms? Yeah. Bold take. I mean, just watching her in this role and then watching her in some, like, some other crazy movies. I love the hard edge that her personality and style gives to a comedic performance. That's a hell of a way, hell of a start there. Yeah, anybody that's listening to this has not seen this movie, check it out. It's a really fun movie to watch. Right from the jump, this movie pulls you in because the Columbia Pictures screen that they use to start the movies, the lady drops the torch and starts dancing to disco music and it was like i was like she does let's go we are on this movie is gonna rule and it did just coming out of the gate with a little disco film that people paid attention to and got some love so good start for deborah after the sexploitation film (laughs) slumber party 57 so kind of taking her career in a different different territory here and straight to a steamy on screen role alongside John Travolta, we've talked about a few times as Sissy in Urban Cowboy, a movie that I saw that she said was very steamy and the chemistry was very real because she said the people on set actually like made it a positive experience and apparently it was not, uh, they weren't faking their sexual chemistry. This movie rules. Am I misremembering this? Did, didn't her and Travolta get married after this? No, Timothy Hutton, she married, but not Travolta. Okay. Hutton and Arliss are two husbands. Okay. This is the first time I watched it. It took me a minute because 80s movies are. It's a vibe. They, it really is. And you got to catch, you got to get on it. And so, like, they kind of yada yada the romance. It's like they meet and it's like, we should get married after they like roll around in a puddle or whatever. And you're like, all right. It, this movie rules. It's, it's surrounded around a mechanical bull competition. And by the time you get. To John Travolta walking in there for his final run, the the tension is so real in a way that just makes you laugh at yourself. It's so good. It's exactly what you want from a movie like this. And particularly, she's great in this. Mm -hmm. She's really good. All of the stuff is kind of weird. Everything that's happening outside of the actual like mechanical bull riding is very odd. The thing that I probably noticed in this that I noticed all throughout everything I saw with her is she's just believable at whatever she's doing. You believe whatever she has going on, whatever her struggle is, whatever she's trying to convey in terms of like what she's trying to accomplish, whatever her the trauma of her relationships are, you believe it. You buy in pretty quickly. And for her to just stand across from John Travolta. Peak heartthrob. And she stands across from him and like she owns it. I wanted her to be on screen. He was more interesting when she was there. And that's probably the best compliment you can give someone acting alongside of someone that big of a star at that time. Yeah. During her audition for the movie, they wanted her to ride a mechanical bull and she refused. So the producers of the movie said, pull the plug, we'll get someone else. 
and the director and Travolta themselves said, uh, well, if you don't hire her for the role that we think she's perfect for, you don't have a director. And Travolta's like, and you don't have a star either. And so they were both dead set on her being in that movie. It helps that Travolta was at the height of his power. I mean, obviously he late 80s and early 90s kind of floundered there, but this was like right after Saturday Night Fever. And I was going to say it's it's interesting. It's kind of a nice parallel to Saturday Night Fever because the thing I remember most about this movie is, especially in like the 70s and 80s, like portraying working class characters in Hollywood is was kind of a risky move. Had the you know potential to be really hokey or really lame or or really simple and i feel like similar to saturday night fever both films do a really good job of that well 1982 two years later she acts uh, alongside nick nolte in what, her first of a couple roles with nolte in cannery row she played Susie, a movie that's based off of my understanding two different john steinbeck novels so cannery row and then a lot of the story was taken from a different one of his books sweet thursday Cannery Row wasn't my favorite watch, is what I'm really trying to say <laughs> from, from this, this podcast. I really enjoyed most of the things I watched with Deborah, though. Um, it's just kind of an odd story. This is when Nick Nolte was like actually an attractive person before. He was. He now looks. She dated him after this movie. Yeah. During and after this movie. I don't think for long, but they dated. And for the record, Kyle, she did date Travolta after the movie, but did not marry. Did they? She's two for two dating co stars. <laughs> Nolte has a memoir, and he doesn't really hold back on any of his relationships or <laughs> any of his interactings with other actors in the memoir. And people were shocked that he just essentially had like one or two sentences for Deborah. And he's like, she's beautiful in her unique way. <laughs> like essentially all he talked about. He's like, I'm not, I'm not getting into it. Don't fucking worry about it. I read that uh, Raquel Welch was originally cast as Susie, her role in this movie. Um, she was fired after five days of filming. Allegedly, it took too long to get ready each day on set. <laughs> and then she sued the studio, MGM, for a couple million bucks and won it. Won that uh, lawsuit in the 80s. Interesting indeed. What a wild co-star. Raquel Welch and Nick Nolte? What? That is bizarre. Mm -hmm. That's bizarre. That's the best way I can say it. Not a lot of people do two movies with Nick Nolte. Her months a meter, along with the flatulence at people and uh, is going up for me getting to do a double Nick Nolte feature. So it's just like an odd story to tell in the early 1980s. I don't know. I mean, hey, the 80s continued to prove to be a wild time where Nick Nolte is playing a marine biologist. <laughs> We're going to see some more. Can't wait for uh, John to talk about another Nick Nolte role in here in eight years. If you look at her filmography, you'll see that she has an uncredited role in E.T., the extraterrestrial, as nurse zombie carrying poodle. Which seems really nonchalant, but then I saw an interview where she may have allegedly been the voice of E.T. And people ask her, and she says, you'll have to ask Spielberg, because apparently she laid down the audio tracks, but no one's really quite sure if she's the voice or not, or if she's gotten the credit for it. I did some research on this, and I could never get a good feel for like the range of her involvement in this, so I did leave it out of the box office information it's almost like a he said she said recollection of mm -hmm. her involvement in this movie could just be an urban legend at this point in an interview talk about it and she's like i have to ask him i recorded some things whether or not he used it is a different story what's hilarious about her is i think if a urban legend about her did surface 
She'd just be like, I don't know. <laughs> She's not giving you shit. That's that's Deborah. That's DW. No, not giving me a damn thing. Especially if it's a, if it's a uh, late night talk show interview. The episodes like this are why I really like our format, Deborah Winger. It's just so interesting. So much off the screen stuff. Dude, I watched every interview she did. I found them so fascinating. Fascinating. Because like I get what she's saying in most of them, but like the way she's saying it is like abrasive. A, yeah, like. Kind of shit talking, kind of matter of fact, kind of downplaying the successes of like the people around her, and like all the all the talk show hosts just take it personal every time. Mm-hmm. You better fucking vet your questions before you get to her. Starting to understand why the hiatus happened. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's building up. But before we we get to eighty two, she gets her first Oscar nomination for her role as Paula in An Officer and a Gentleman, a film that. Comparatively to her steamy on-screen romance with Travolta, from what I could tell, she's not terribly happy with some of the people that were on this project that didn't make it as a positive of an experience. Like, this film was praised, and one of the main things people focused on was the chemistry on screen between her and Richard Gere. And she actually was so public about hating working with him that she didn't do any press for this movie. Like she wasn't going on a press tour at all, wasn't promoting it. (laughs) And when people would ask her about what it was like working with gear, you know, essentially feeding her a line, be like, Hey, you guys look really hot up there. Was it kind of hot and steamy working together? She's like, no, it was like acting with a brick wall. I hated working with him and like used every opportunity to say like how much it sucks being with Richard Gere. (laughs) And people were shocked because that's not how it came across on screen. Tommy is one of those shocked people. I feel like she stole every scene she was in with him. And that might've probably been the issue (laughs) is that he wasn't that great of an actor and that to be completely honest. Does it count me as one of those people that were shocked? Because this movie works for me. I like this movie a lot. This was the first watch, which most of these were. And this was one of the ones that I like. kind of circled. Was like, oh, I need to, I need to watch this. Mm-hmm. The Richard Gere stuff, I chalked it up to it being an 80s movie. Like some of the performances, particularly in movies that like were meant to be kind of big crowd pleasers, are big and kind of like, I don't want to say wooden, but they're just like... They're not the way that you expect a leading man to act now. Yeah. He's not why the movie works. She is. Yes. <laughs> her, and, her and Louis Gossett Jr. Yeah, and Louis Gossett Jr. is incredible. Those two are why the movie works. If it's not her, then that romance doesn't work, and then the movie is pointless. She, she does a lot to make that work. And she just, because I just believe everything that she does, and I believe everything that she says, I'm in. I'm in for everything she's doing. I I don't love the end of the movie as much. Takes some wild and aggressive turns, but and I also feel like they kind of get to the end and they're just like, yeah, he's a good person now. <laughs> they wrap up a lot of stories pretty quick and in dramatic fashion. It, it gets like a little Cinderella at the end. Yeah, it's just like I I've hated this guy for most of the entire movie. I don't really know where they're going. And then all of a sudden, it's like, man, he helps her over the wall. They're good. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's a good person now, so we got it. But I like this movie a lot. I'm definitely, I'll watch it again for sure. And she's great. And this is one where I was like, okay, she's a lot different than I was hoping she would be. Because this is like high quality, top tier work, in my opinion. She's really good in this. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, Yeah, I'm conflicted with Deborah Winger because of 
this reasoning. Like, I don't love the fact that she has embraced difficult to work with attitude and in, in persona in Hollywood. But if you openly hate working with your co-star and you can put this performance together, I mean, you're an elite actor. <laughs> That's incredible. I'll say her and Luke Gossett Jr. like jumped off the screen. I wasn't shocked that both her and uh, Luke Gossett Jr. were nominated for Academy Award. He actually won his as well. He did. That it won Best Original Song. It was the other Oscar it won. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I heard that song and I was like, oh, okay, that's what this is about. That's where this came from. It's uh, Whoop That Trick by 3-6 Mafia. <laughs> Which is a welcome surprise for me. <laughs> welcome surprise that that showed up here. And nobody saw that coming. It was wild. I didn't know she was in that. <laughs> Next year, she uh, she gets nominated for another Oscar back to back for her role as Emma in Terms of Endearment alongside John Lithgow. Love Johnny Johnny Lith. And a role that she notoriously feuded with Shirley MacLaine on. It's almost a shame that that became the thing because from what I remember, it's a pretty good little flick, but it's everybody knows it from their feud. It won so many Academy Awards, including Best Picture. James L. Brooks, like, apparently was able to harness the fact that these two women hated working with each other and was able to put that on screen as a mother-daughter feud. And everyone's like, wow, this movie's incredible. And then, like, the moment they started asking the people involved about it, they were like, yeah, no, those two women actually do hate each other. Like, it was clear from day one. And he, like, fostered an environment where he promoted that he's like yeah like you guys don't need to figure shit out he's like it it works in the scene like fight by all means it got to the point where they were both nominated for best actress and a lot of oscar successes due to strategy and politics and most industry insiders kind of thought deborah winger would put herself in the category of best supporting actress because you know she's a young relative unknown even though she'd been nominated once before and she's going up against shirley mclean who 20 years and had been passed over many times and she's like nah fuck that best actress and they feuded up until they were on the red carpet and they feuded when mclean was walking up on stage to accept the award like I respect a feud like that that is I'm saying it with my chest until until my dying breath until they were accidentally seated together at a restaurant oh two actresses they want to see each other and they <laughs> and she posted a photo of them on her Instagram to say that we buried the hatch hashtag bury the hatchet. That's what it said. Oh, on Instagram. So it it went all the way up until Instagram was around. Yeah, because her son told her that's where you need to be. It's the friendliest of the social media platforms. You know how much you have to hate someone to fart in their face at work. <laughs> Spray fog. You have to be willing to bite. End your career. Be like, nope, I, it just doesn't sit right with my spirit. I gotta, I gotta do this. It's interesting. I mean, Officer and Gentleman, from my understanding, was just a cultural phenomenon, but then Terms of Endearment was the, was an even bigger hit. I did see some interesting trivia. So the fact about Shirley MacLaine and Deborah Winger both being nominated for Best Actress in the same Academy Awards ceremony, that fact to, lead actresses both being nominated from the same movie for the same for that same category has only been done twice in the last 45 years one of them is terms of endearment does anyone have a guess on the other one was it the favorite 
No. Uh, no, but good guess. Oh, I think I know this. We, I think we talked about it actually. Oh, I know this, and I can't go off topic. Jennifer, Lawrence. yeah, Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Adams. Nope, nope. No, no. that was supporting. Uh, uh, I believe Jennifer Lawrence was the supporting actress that that Oscars. The only other time this was done was 1991, and it was Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon and Thelma and Louise. Yep, yeah, makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh man. We've covered both of them. We should know the answer. Yeah. In the best actor category, it hasn't been done since 1984, and that was Amadeus with uh, F. Murray Abraham and Tom Holt. Uh, but, you know, Terms of Endearment is great. Very, very funny from a book by uh, Larry McMurtry, the author of Lonesome Dove, big Texas author. And I hate to say this because Shirley MacLaine is very deserving of her Oscar and is, is great in it, but by far the main scene stealer in every scene is Jack Nicholson. Who won Best Supporting Actor? Yeah. One of the greatest living actors, so Kenya. I'm not going to criticize you on that. Yeah, not surprising. No, not at all. Deborah Winger gives Jack Nicholson credit for kind of the rumors and legends that have been born out of her early Hollywood experiences because he told her, you know, don't fully deny anything because then when you don't fully deny something, everyone just thinks of it as true, no matter what the accusation is. And so she's like, since then, I just kind of admit to what is true and I don't deny the other stuff. And I think in this case, she might have wanted to deny it, but my guess is she farted in her face. <laughs> that is like the greatest advice only Jack Nicholson could give you. Yeah, I mean, he's been around forever. Oh, yeah. And, and you were talking about Nicholson. This, the cast in this is incredible. All the way down to, you got Shirley McLean, Deborah Winger, Jack Nicholson, Danny DeVito, Jeff Daniels, John Lithgow, and an actor named Huckleberry Fox, who played Teddy Horton. So this movie's loaded with star power and an actor named Huckleberry Fox. <laughs> Don't hear about too many Huckleberries anymore. <laughs> Jeez. You're tied to literature with a name like that, you know? This movie wasn't for me. It was all right. The storyline jumping was odd. I think Deborah Winger is great. She gives my favorite performance, personally. I think she... I think she outpaces Shirley MacLaine pretty easily, in my opinion. She was the most interesting person, particularly in the second half. But the the going back and forth, the feud part was odd. The movie, I, I didn't find it to be all that funny, which might just be a, an age and time period thing. But this movie is just more or less fine. Aubrey, what that tells me is you should have watched Thank God It's Friday. Yep. I should have. Accurate. I should have. Still can. Especially if you like to dance. I do not dance, like to dance. dance. Hey, you'll dance, still like dance. it. You'll still like to dance. Dance dance your ass off. <laughs> Coming off some high-profile dating, she then d- decided to date the governor of Nebraska, Bob Carey, from 83 to 85. I don't know if we've had anybody date a politician before in 97 episodes. That's a new one. It's just so weird. James could have done 25 strange facts about Deborah Winger. Oh, yeah. We all would have been like, oh, yeah, it's Deborah Winger. I mean, we talk about, like, the weird dating of, like, Leo and Michael Sheen and these guys. I mean, Deborah's got, like, she's lined them up over the years. Yeah. I gotta give her credit. I gotta give homegirl some credit. These are studs, and dipping your toe into politics, was, he had a funny line, so obviously I don't know who this governor is, but he lost one of his legs, I believe, serving in Vietnam. And when people asked him about the relationship, he said, she swept me off my foot. <laughs> Such a good line. That's great. Oh, uh, that is hilarious. 
So did he have a last dance? But how nervous are you if you're the wife of a leading man that she's about to do a movie with? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Deborah's on the project. I think you're probably nervous for a bunch of reasons. Like, one, obviously, you know, she clearly is got, you know, the it factor, which all these men are attracted to her. But if you look at the other side of it, it's like, yeah, say he's not attracted to her. There's a good chance every day at work he is getting hooked by her because she is <laughs> roasting her castmates. <laughs> I think men are attracted to that. Like, she doesn't care about me. No, yeah. She is not holding back. Legal Eagles, 1986, she, alongside Daryl Hannah with Robert Redford, another another stud of a co-star that she doesn't like when people ask about kisses with on-screen stars, and he's one of them. Do we have any legal insight as to the realities of this movie, yeah. John? I've actually never seen this, and I don't know how realistic it is. She actually also, uh, because of this movie, left her agency and representation, which is CAA, which is like still massive in Hollywood because when, when they were filming, she realized that every actor in the movie was represented by CAA. And then afterwards she was like, Oh cool. So we didn't hire the best people. We just only hired our own clients. And she's like, I don't want to work for a company that is willing to do that and not like respect the arts. And so she left. So let's talk more about, off off the screen stuff. She got a back injury that precluded her from playing the the title, the key role. And Peggy Sue got married in 1986, so that would have been interesting to see her in that role. Jim Carrey was also in Peggy Sue Got Married as well. I totally forgot about that. One of his first roles. More life stuff. She married Timothy Hutton in the 86. Mar- they were married until 1990, and they had a son named Noah. Are we going to talk about her sons later? Because I got something about Noah Hutton, her son. Oh, well, let's talk about Noah right now. Is it that his name is a completely normal name that would never bring him mockery? It's not It's not Babe Ruth, so you're good? I enjoy the fact that Deborah Winger talked, her, talked Noah out of acting, and so he went into directing. And so I just wonder what the conversations are like where she's like, look, Noah, when you're on set, don't take any shit from those actors. Or if she's the opposite of like, look, no. hey, man, don't treat people like I was treated. Like, I just wonder what that dynamic is. It did say in this article that she talked him out of being an actor. She was having success, but also having a bad time with some of the onset experiences. So I don't blame her. No, not at all. 1987, Black Widow. She played Alex, a film I was hoping to catch, but didn't just ran out of time to be able to watch. I've, I'd heard decent things about it. Rigby, what do you know about Black Widow? Uh, nothing except the screenwriter, Ronald Bass. Ronnie Bass? Yep, Ronnie. Not not that Ronnie Bass. No? Not Sunshine. Not Sunshine? Oh, no, Ronald, Ronnie Bass. I only know about him because he's really interesting. He was a big law Los Angeles attorney who made partner in his firm and Harvard, Yale, Harvard, Yale educated, incredible attorney. And then he's like, I'm going to give it my try at screenwriting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very well rated. Very, very well rated. 1988, she was in Betrayed. She played Katie slash Kathy. It's a dual role because she plays an undercover um, FBI agent in the in a hate group. The first movie I watched in my uh, my research for this, and I did not. I mean, it was okay. Basically, she joins Tom Berenger's little tray of rednecks, and it turns out they're terrorists ultimately. And she's just too deep into things. Ted Levine is in this. He plays one of the other racist little bastards. 
John Hurd. So it's got it's got a good cast, but not my favorite Deborah Winger film along the way. But I don't think it's because of Deborah necessarily. Is this one of those movies where somebody's undercover and they act exactly like they're not undercover character, or does she actually have two different styles? To Aubrey's point, she's fine as in convincing in her role. The issue, and I think I texted you guys, is the the line readings that they have the little kids say. But I mean, some of the most racist shit you've ever heard in your life were said by like seven year old kids in this movie. And I was not prepared for it in the slightest. Well, still the 80s. And we established that the 80s were a wild time. The 80s are a <laughs> fucking wild time. Yeah. yeah, my text to you guys, the things that these kids say in Betrayed, holy fuck in all caps. The screenwriter asked them to say this shit is fucking wild. So if you want to see some wild line reads, you up Betrayed. But we're going to go to 1990. And it is largest audience gap. And it's a film called The Sheltering Sky. The film that kind of spawned her doing her first interview with David Letterman all those years after her career exploded. So I pulled this for largest audience gap. According to the box office, nobody watched this movie. So this movie <laughs> lost $23 million. So they, they recouped a little bit with you watching. I think I did have to pay $4 to watch this. So yes, I was helping the box office. They're welcome, I guess. There you go. I'll be looking for reparations later. This film, it's the same creative team as The Last Emperor from 1987, just a couple years before, which won nine Oscars. So I think they thought, same team, we're going to have a a big-time awards winner on our hands. The split here is pretty significant. So 79 for the audience, 45 for critics. So audiences liked it, critics not so much. My guess is it's a victim of expectations of that team from The Last Emperor. It's an adaptation of a Paul Bowles autobiographical novel. To give you an idea of what I watched and what I'm reviewing, he was quoted as saying, it should have never have been filmed. The ending is idiotic and the rest is pretty bad. So that's about his own life. (laughs) His autobiography. The plot of the story is uh, an American couple played by Deborah Winger and John Malkovich traveled to post-war Africa and Algeria in an attempt to kind of revitalize the relationship. So they're going through some bumps. So they say, you know what, let's go on an indefinite vacation to post-war Africa. This sounds like a great idea. This is going to go well. They plan to stay several years, and while they're there, they're very unfaithful to each other. They're just not great people, and that's a part of the reason this movie is not wonderful, because they're awful humans. And even though you feel bad for what happens to her especially, you don't really care, because they're terrible humans. Um, The only notable awards love for the movie was a few BAFTA noms. That's it. There is a nice little appearance from a very grotesque-looking Timothy Spall as a leeching mama's boy with aggressive face acne and herpes. He's got a lot going on. It's kind of gross. It's exactly what you'd expect Timothy Spall to be doing on screen in 1990. So that was kind of cool. I, I like Timothy Spall as an actor. But the acting from both Malkovich and Deborah in the really powerful emotional scenes, they're good. The story is just really lackluster for John and James here. Spoiler, he dies from typhoid in this movie, so there's a little Fisai connection there with the typhoid. And uh, <laughs> during the, during those scenes, pretty powerful. I give him credit. She's on point. He's pretty on point. But outside of that, it's just like really fucking dark and hard to watch, because like he dies, she's out in the middle of nowhere Africa, and then she basically gets like Stuck in the middle of nowhere, far from home. She ends up joining a group of local nomads and then becomes like a 
like a sex slave, basically. It's really dark. And so I'm not a better person for having watched this. And I'm firmly on the side of the critics on this one. And I do not recommend that people go watch it. That is my review of The Sheltering Sky. What does she do on screen with Melkovich? Because he has a ability and a, and a trend of taking scenes over. She's better than him. In her, Melkovich is a weird cast for anything that doesn't yeah. isn't like Cyrus the virus. Yeah. <laughs> anything that doesn't lean into Malkovich. Yeah, like if it's not being John Malkovich and it's super meta or him being like a weird bad guy, it just doesn't work that well because he's just odd. He's an odd human, right? Yeah. Deborah's perfectly fine. Her character is just, you feel terrible and you know it's like kind of a true story, so you hate it as well. And the ending's just brutal. So I don't go watch it, is what I would recommend. Gotcha. So let's flip it to a, a movie that people might really like. Just kidding. Probably not, because this is going to be John's review of 1990s Everybody Wins, where she played Angela, another movie with Nick Nolte. And this is our lowest critic score. Deservedly so. It's really, really bad. <laughs> another box office bomb uh, to start there. Uh, made only about a million and a half at the box office. I mean, this movie has potential. I mean, honestly, this type of story is kind of right. This genre is right in my wheelhouse. You got a really smart private eye who lets his dick get the best of him. And he starts thinking that way rather than with his head. And he gets in way too over his head. And it just is bad. Uh, Nick Nolte plays a plays a private eye. Is contacted by Deborah Winger to investigate a murder in small town rural New England in which a teenager has been convicted and and she wants him to investigate the circumstances and and try to reverse the conviction. And then, you know, as of course, as the movie goes on, he learns that it's a lot more deeper and sinister than that. You'd think that this would work and it just doesn't. It's interesting to me that, you know, in my research on the film's Wikipedia page, all, all the reviews, it seems to be classified as suspenseful, you know, mystery thriller, which is interesting to me because there's no suspense, there's no mystery, and there's absolutely no thrills. <laughs> the greatest injustice in this, which now that I think about it, probably makes sense as to why it just does not work on screen, is that the screenwriter is famed playwright Arthur Miller of uh, Death of a Salesman, The Crucible, one of the most famous playwrights in American theater. It was based off of a one-act play he did in the 80s and the early 80s, and so that they try to convert it to screen, and it just doesn't work. I think the studio realized it probably just was a little too literate for the audience, and I think they just literally just cut it and ran it and edited it like crazy, and then when it came out, it just completely flopped. Nick Nolte, this is right when he's you know still a star, right when Prince of Tides with Barbra Streisand's about to come out, and so he's, he's a huge leading man. I, I want to say... I think it's the year before Cape Fear, so he's still working at the top of his game. Obviously, Deborah Winger, Jack Warden. Will Patton. Yeah, Will Patton. And it just doesn't work. It's so bad. Uh, so it's on Amazon Prime if you're interested. And <laughs> I think it was Craig earlier was talking about, thank God it's Friday and how it's 93 minutes, but it feels like 39 minutes. This literally is, is 93 minutes, but it felt like three years of my life. So maybe I was on a flight back from Mexico, and that's why it took so long. But goddamn, this is bad. The ayahuasca was kicking in. Rigby was nominated for one award. Do you know what award it was nominated for? Razzie. Razzie, best best picture. (laughs) No, it was actually Deborah Winger was nominated for Best Actress by the National Society of Film Critics Awards. 
and finished third with Jessica Lang from Men Don't Leave. I mean, she's she's good in that. I didn't even sorry in my review. I didn't even mention her. She plays the woman who reaches out to to Nolte, but you you do realize that she has some multiple personalities. So there's kind of that. You don't know if she's going to be the femme fatale. You know she's she has something lurking in her character that's just not there on the surface. The character certainly has some mental health challenges, but it never leans into that. But what I would say, if you want to see Deborah Winger do something really different from a lot of the other roles she's played, go see Everybody Wins. Not because it's a good movie, but because you get you get a level of energy from Deborah that you don't really see in her more straight dramatic roles is what i would say yeah yeah i think that's right i mean it's 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 a spirited performance it's not a real it's not a real human that's ever existed but we've been talking all this time about the chemistry that she had with travolta and that she had with with richard gear and it's like what the hell is this shit like uh, nick nolte looks like he'd rather be in a <laughs> fucking colonoscopy than in scenes with her it's just really bad which is crazy because this is like after the fact where they had dated and had a tumultuous relationship and broke up. Yeah. And they're like, what if we got them back together? It's like, like, what if I just stab myself in the eyes? I don't want to be around that person. Yeah. And like, like Kyle, what is the, what are like the Will Patton scenes? Like, it's just, it just like, doesn't make sense. And like, what, no, what's up with like the, like the civil war statue and shit. It's like, this is so bad. It's a very disjointed story. It didn't deserve an adaptation or, or at least not this adaptation. Pretty awful. Out of all the crap you've had me watch since I've been doing these podcasts, this one was by far the worst. You're welcome. For the record, I offered you a chance to change. And you said, no, <laughs> I'll do everybody with. Well, so. I mean, I was like, Nick, Nick Nolte, Jack Warden, and Deborah Winger, bring it on. Let's go. But yeah. It's- yeah. All right, three more years until our next performance. In that, first and foremost, she hosted SNL. It's the sassiest SNL monologue I've ever seen. Dude, I will say... I watched the monologue and none of the jokes land, but I no. do think they're funny jokes. They like, are. She's like talking shit, but like in a clever way and none of it is landing. Like to the point where people don't know if they should laugh. She's essentially being like, the reason I'm hosting tonight is because I continuously get shafted at the Oscars <laughs> and she just goes on a rant and like, well, they, you know, they needed to have someone who, had not won an Oscar because they would probably be at the award ceremony. She goes, which I haven't won and I wasn't invited. And like, I'm like, these are good jokes, but she's saying them so matter of fact that everyone in the audience is like, uh, the whole time, like no laughs. It is just three minutes of trash talking. Just shit talking. (laughs) Yeah. And she even points to, um, whoever the musical guest is. And she's like, and he was also here on tour, just in the, the neighborhood. So uh, they got him to just pop over <laughs> too. Yeah. So matter of fact, like he's on his world tour. He just happens to be in town, so he's here as well. All right, let's have a good show. <laughs> like okay. Like even in those moments, she just does not filter herself. Nope. I I respect it. Ninety two. She played a character named Jane in Leap of Faith, a Steve Martin like religious satirical comedy alongside Philip Seymour Hoffman, one of his earliest roles. I remember liking this movie. I was surprised that it was rated so low with critics and fans. Yeah, it didn't seem to do terribly well. She plays like the person who's like feeding in his ear Yeah, everything. And remembering watching some of her scenes from this it kind of reminded me that I enjoy her in comedies because she's kind of like, yeah, take a look at the lady in the third row with the pink dress on. 
go to her now. You know, she's just kind of like shitting on people without shitting on them. So it's pretty funny. But that same year, she actually dropped a role, Gina Davis's role in A League of Their Own, because apparently she didn't want to work with Madonna, didn't think she was a serious actress. Oh, wild. She'd been training for this role for three months, like contract signed. I'm getting paid. She was practicing with like Cubs trainers to get better at baseball because she wasn't like that good at it. And then the moment they signed Madonna, she goes up to Penny Marshall and she's like, oh, I didn't realize you were making like an Elvis movie. I quit. And Penny Marshall's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, what does this mean? An Elvis movie. Yeah. <laughs> Afterwards, like, you know, obviously Gina Davis gets it. And I it's probably my favorite Gina Davis role. And uh, it's one of my favorite baseball movies of all time. And they ask her, like, what do you think about it? She's like, I thought Gina Davis did fine. She's like, she won't give her praise. She's like, but, you know, Madonna was as bad as I thought she was. Oh, my God. Like she uses it as an opportunity to be like double down and be like, Madonna sucked. Am I right? <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> she must have seen a couple of those sleazy 80s movies uh, with Madonna. Did Gina Davis get Deborah Winger's role? Yeah. Yeah. Remember, remember we talked about Gina? They were like, they had her just like throw a baseball just to make sure she was athletic enough to do the job. I think it's because they were working on a really tight turnaround because their lead dropped. Okay. And Gina Davis is like a tremendous athlete. She's like, yeah, I could figure that shit out. No problem. <laughs> yeah. But one might be my the funniest part, even funnier than the SNL piece, is the fact that she was on an episode of Sesame Street in 1992. I couldn't find that clip, but by golly, it's got to be the funniest clip in Sesame Street history if she's on Sesame Street. Can you imagine her being asked to fucking like list out ABCs for little kids? Scarred these children, yo. She thinks it's insulting to go on late night talk shows, but hey, it's perfectly cool to sit here and talk to a puppet with the count just being like you misogynist pig she just <laughs> fucking crushes Bert for how he treats Ernie <laughs> it's like he's a good friend you should be nicer to him but 93 the movie that caught me completely off guard and it's campy as hell but I loved it and that's Wilder Napalm she plays Vida a movie where Arliss Howard and Dennis Quaid are vying for her love they play two brothers who can control fire with their minds. Arliss runs an amusement park, and Dennis Quaid plays like the lead clown. And so they have a show-off while Dennis Quaid is in full clown gear, which is hilarious. And then the rest of the movie, Dennis Quaid goes full camp the entire time, and they have a full-on like fire battle at the end for her love. I loved it. Wilder Napalm was an absolute ride. Oh, no, I'm pissed I didn't get to watch it. Jim Varney's in this, Ernest. Ernest P. Worrell. So I enjoyed that as well. She's really good in this because mm -hmm. she's playing a very like eccentric character that's on house arrest, which is hilarious, by the way. And mm -hmm. in all the zaniness and craziness, she somehow pulls off a really good performance, even though she's also batshit crazy. She's wearing an ankle bracelet for most of the film. <laughs> and she met Arliss Howard, her future husband. The special effects are so 1993, and it's. It's one. What a snapshot in time. Dennis Quaid is in rare form in this movie. He is on another planet, dude. Doing it, he's doing crazy dances with his big shoes on and doing impressions of John Wayne. He's hilarious. It's an experience. Highly recommend people check it out. But let's let's jump it up to highest critic score, which is 1993's Shadowlands, where she got Oscar and BAFTA noms, so her third Oscar nom. If you're keeping score at home. 
She played Joy in Opera Druid. Usually this category has been very good to me, and I was not excited to watch this movie at all. It's essentially, I, don't want to, I guess I don't want to call it a biopic, but it's the story of C.S. Lewis, the famed Christian author, author of Chronicles of Narnia, who lives, as IMDb calls it, a passionless life. And this is after Narnia was released. I call him, I would call him surly or bland is the life he's living until he meets Joy, an American poet who kind of like just invigorates his experience, this kind of bland British experience that he's having with her, you know, I guess American charm, you'd call it, or at least a lack of British poise. They meet, become friends do whatever she gets married to him so she can live in England. And then he realizes he's in love with her and spoiler, she dies. This movie is weird (laughs) because I I'm it's, it's as bland as a a movie about CS Lewis sounds like it would be. And that's part of the problem. It's just not accessible. I think there's interesting things happening at times. I think Deborah Winger is great. She kind of comes in and does kind of turn the movie upside down a bit with her energy, particularly because the movie is lacking any of any energy. So when she just kind of shows up and has any, mm-hmm. it kind of sets things on on a on a good path. I think there's interesting things in terms of like thematic stuff if you want to do the work to kind of dig for it c.s lewis talks a lot about or anthony hopkins as c.s lewis talks a lot about suffering and what that means in terms of religion and what that means in the human experience there's a lot of like i don't want to call them quick because they felt long but like debates philosophical debates about different theological ideas and just philosophical ideas that i think are interesting and then his experience with Deborah Winger's character plays into the overarching themes that he talks about in his classes. I just find the movie to be inaccessible in a way that made it hard for me to kind of want to get all the way through it. I don't think anything is bad. It's just bland. And so, and then I'm also watching it on YouTube and it's grainy. Yeah. It's terrible quality and out of focus. Yep. <laughs> so like that makes it hard to, but I think everything is good, but I I wouldn't watch it again because it just Mm-mm. bland is the word that comes to mind. She's good in it again. She impressed me again, particularly because now I've got to believe that she's in this relationship with Anthony Hopkins, who still looks incredibly old in 1993. <laughs> Accurate. And it every, again, it's just, it's my running theme with her. Everything she does works for me. So I just believe it. But. The movie didn't support her in any way. So this is one that'll be, unfortunately, pretty quickly forgotten. And for a film that has incredibly high ratings for both critics and audiences at 97 and 89, and we're not talking like five reviews either. Very well-regarded reviews. This is a time period thing, though. I think this movie works Mm -hmm. for critics and audiences at that time. Yep. The audience for this would be so small right now. Yep. It's 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 homework. It really is. It's paced so slow. <laughs> it is. It's this is not one you should show to your kids. I will not. Would not recommend. If they can't handle there will be blood, they definitely can't handle this. Just learned it was directed by Richard Attenborough, who I yep. didn't realize is Dr. Hammond from Jurassic Park. 
Mm-hmm. And also has a wild filmography. Yeah, dude. I just, just looked it up. I was kind of shocked. Same is true for the writer. Well, that's Shadowlands. Don't watch Shadowlands. <laughs> we only have one more review left, but it's in a long time. But as we'll talk about, she takes a little break here. So 93, she plays Martha in A Dangerous Woman, a, a movie alongside one of our favorites, Gabriel Byrne. Shout out to the Burnaholics. And uh, she also got a Golden Globe nom for that role. Which is wild. Did you watch it? Yes, I watched this movie. It's different. It's bad. Uh, very different from everything we've seen her do, but I imagine it's not a great movie from what I saw online. The reviews were not great. It's different in the, in, in the full definition of the word. She is just doing something different. This movie is bizarre. I don't know how to take anything in this movie. I just give her a pass. <laughs> it's just maybe it sounded like a good idea and it just didn't work. But Gabriel Byrne was shockingly bad in this. <laughs> Don't tell Warren <laughs> or the Burnaholics. No, Warren would agree with you. He was shockingly bad. It's one of those where it just, it must have sounded like a good idea. The script must have read well. Or she wanted to do a thing. She just wanted to do something different. Mm-hmm. It's a whole performance she's given. Yep. And it's just, this is another one that's better left. Let's just skip over that one. She didn't do this. I'm glad somebody watched it. I am. Forget Paris, 1995, she played Ellen alongside Billy Crystal, uh, a film that I watched with Christina, because we were looking through the other night, and we're like, here are the movies I haven't watched yet, and we're like, let's watch the rom-com. And we thought it was a cute movie. It was a cute concept. Like, it's told through these two couples that are sitting at dinner, and the he's got a new girl that uh, he's dating, and or he's about to marry, and they're just telling the story of Billy Crystal and Deborah Winger through their... And there's also the element of there's some drama going on between that group as well, which I thought was an added little bonus to the story. But I like Billy Crystal. I don't know what it is. I like Billy Crystal and things. And this story, it worked for me. It does have the best reviews, but I thought it was super cute. I love this movie. I remember watching this movie with my mom when I was gone, maybe like <laughs> seven. Like I remember she just like had it on and must and I I Remember the NBA cameos in this are like are insane. Yes, like it is like it is better than like what's the movie with Whoopi Goldberg? Eddie, like Eddie, oh, Eddie. like any any movie Classic. that has NBA pers- like real life NBA figures and personalities in it. This movie has like by far the best cameos for sure. Oh, 100 percent. I could buy Billy Crystal as a like disgruntled ref too. So I was like, all right, I'm in. Let's go for sure. I watched this movie as a teenager, randomly, and I've I've never forgotten this movie. I watched it one time as a teenager and never forgotten this movie. Really? I had no idea what Deborah Winger was. Didn't know until I went through her IMDb, saw this movie. It was the first one that I watched, and I had the best time. I love this movie. I think it's amazing. It's great. I love the bit where they're telling the story through the friends at the dinner, and then the server comes back with his little like one-liners all the time. <laughs> Every time. Yep. I think their chemistry is great. I think particularly this is a great way for me to get introduced to her because it it shows her talent Mm -hmm. in a low stakes environment. Like it's a rom-com and it's a Billy Crystal one. So it's, this is a Billy Crystal movie. He's taken up all the energy. She's funny. She jokes and quips with him on par with him. And then she makes all the dramatic stuff work. Cause again, she has to be the person to make this relationship work. And she does. It's not like the best romantic comedy you'll ever see, but cute's a way to des- a good way to describe it. It's fun, and I I love it. This is I would give this the 
the biggest of recommendations. I love this movie. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm glad I'm affirmed here and that I wasn't on an island because Christian and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And she's not even a big movie person, as you know. It's like Armageddon and everything else. But she was like, that was a cute, she's like, that was a cute story and a cute way to tell the story. And I was like, I agree. I enjoyed it. I think this movie is important because as I'm looking through her box office so far, I think this is the first true rom-com, isn't it? <laughs> and yeah, and to be playing off of Billy Crystal, who at this time is the Billy Crystal. I think that's pretty important. And to hear you guys talk about how well she does is pretty impressive. Well, I think it's also important to note, like this is the last big movie she did before she took a hiatus from acting. And she likes to say she didn't take off from acting. Her life led her in some different areas, probably to release from the stress of the world of acting and being asked to do all the things outside of just acting. So during that time, she was a teaching fellow at Harvard. She married Arliss Howard had a child, Gideon Babe Ruth Howard, as James referenced. So just did like life stuff during this time. She lived on a farm, but well, she still does live on a farm, an old dairy farm. So isn't it crazy, though, that like the bit I've been doing about my daughter being like Lucy Lou Jr. or Angelina Jolie Jr. She did that with a real life human, real person. <laughs> like, could you imagine? Like, yeah. Dude, my my daughter, her name is Amelia Earhart D'Imperio. You'd be like, what? <laughs> big big aviation <laughs> family, you know? <laughs> Why? Babe Ruth Howard. That's really funny. Gideon, Babe Ruth Howard, yeah. And she also did a little bit of theater work there, too. She was the female lead in Ivanoff between 99 and 2000, right, right along with the Willennium as part of the American Repertory Theater. So she just did a lot of like non-acting things during this time and just took some time to like raise a family and and do that because I'm sure she made a decent amount of money leading up to that and was like, yeah, I'm kind of over this for a bit. I respect that. Whether or not she was forced to take that or she chose to take that, it seemed that despite busting everyone's balls for 15 plus years, she was still getting roles. And so it looked like at least it was on her terms. Yeah, I mean, she stepped away in 95 and didn't really do anything again until 2001, six years later. But that's only because her husband, Arliss Howard, directed Big Bad Love. So she produced that and played a character in that film. But otherwise, she didn't really make a return until 2003's Radio, <laughs> which is oh, good grief. an abysmal. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, I want to mention Searching for Deborah Winger, which James mentioned earlier, which is that Rosanna Arquette film where kind of like... How many times do we run an actor that is the centerpiece of a story and documentary about Hollywood and like the fact that women are not getting the do or they have to deal with a bunch of bullshit in like they're not getting the characters granted. It's mostly white men, women in this documentary. So it's like you got to take it with a grain of salt because it's a particular battle, but a battle nonetheless. And Selma Hayek. And Selma Hayek. <laughs> and Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. And Whoopi Goldberg. And Whoopi, yeah. But it's like it's like 30 other white actresses. Yeah. Some interesting ones you'll see on screen. And Deborah's only like a part of the story, but it is all centered around her and the concept of like what Deborah had to go through, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I, th I think Rosanna Arquette had an interesting idea because it probably hadn't been told that story hadn't been told at that time, which is someone at the height of their career, you know, three Oscar nominations in their mid 30s and then all of a sudden they're just kind of gone mm -hmm. and 30s is not like the death sentence for actresses and that's kind of like the direction the documentary goes in where it's more so like 
the ageism of Hollywood and how you can't really balance having a family and having a career, which I will say probably aged a little more poorly than you'd expect. I think they were on the forefront of the sexism and ageism in Hollywood. I think the balancing a career and a family part aged a little poorly, a little out of touch because that's an issue everyone has. Um, and so when you hear it from millionaire starlets, it's a little harder to digest. Yeah. This was before the Me Too movement. And so them saying this, the other parts of it, was kind of a little more eye-opening at that time than you'd expect it to be. I just feel bad that Rosanna Arquette, I really only know, is her small role in Joe Dirt. And I feel like that's disrespectful to her as a performer. (laughs) Dude, the Arquettes are, I would love to just do an episode on them as a family. They sound incredibly fascinating. I think we could tie the other two in, depending on if one of them are picked. Patricia, David, or or Rosanna? Well, let's get back to radio. I don't know about you guys, but it's been a long time since I'd seen radio. And I wish it had been longer that I had seen radio, because the movie's real bad. Real bad. I think the lesson to take from radio is that not every feel-good story needs to that's true needs to be turned into a movie. You know? Like... Sometimes it's just good to read a story and go, wow, that's nice. And you move on and you hold some nuggets that are great. Be like, hey, you want to hear the story I read about this guy that worked with this football team? You're like, oh, that is a pretty cool story. You don't have to make a movie about it because when you watch it, man, it's just like. The, the local news can do a story on it and we can move on with our lives. Right. <laughs> you watch it and you're like, oh, this is kind of fucking cringy. And they tie in so many different aspects of like every sports cliche possible where it's like a racist town, his mom dies, he's special needs. It's like, how much more can we pile into this story to the point where like you watch it and you're told it's a true story and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I believe all this shit. <laughs> like you want to like Google afterwards and be like, how much of the shit do they make up? My experience of this is unfortunate. Oh boy. I watched it probably around the time it came out and thought it was amazing. That's what I remembered about it was like, man, this movie was great. I developed a new opinion on this movie without rewatching it as I got older. Yeah. Just rethinking what I saw. I was like, that movie was not good. What is wrong with me? Watched it. Yeah. And immediately was like, oh no. Oh no. What are we doing here? <laughs> What can I say good about this? I like seeing Ed Harris act in movies. That's yeah. a good thing. Deborah Winger's lovely. Welcome back. Yeah, she's lovely. I like seeing Alfrey Woodard yep. do things. She's good. Kubo Gunjun is trying very hard. Real hard. And I will give him credit for trying. I was going to say, like, I don't, know, I don't know how he could have improved on what was asked of him, you know? To not do it is the way you got to go there. I think that's the only way. I agree. I think you're right. I think it's the only way. How do you praise him for this? Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, he nailed it. Like, that doesn't feel right either. I think they downplayed the race stuff in a way that is almost comical. Yeah, they did. Because it's like, what time period are we in? Alfred Wood is the principal. Nobody's mad about that. I honestly think it needed to be made so they didn't make mistakes like this again. Interesting. Okay, I think that's fair. I can't think of a ton more movies like this. I know there's a couple, but not a ton. 
And I think they needed to do it, put it out, and everyone go, nope. Because if you tell this story around this time, everyone goes, man, you should, that, that should be a movie. And we learned. <laughs> it's the sacrificial lamb. Maybe you're, maybe you're right. Teach us in film school, the radio theory, yeah. right? Like wh- why some stories are meant to be told. <laughs> you asked how this movie could be better. They should have waited five years and then watch Tropic Thunder and follow the theory that you'd never go full R. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> as Sean Penn, 2001, I am Sam went full, went home empty handed. I'm surprised they didn't bring this up during Tropic Thunder when they were having that discussion. <laughs> By the way, I, I was laughing earlier because I was looking at what awards it was nominated for. A couple NAACP nominations for Cuba Gooding and Alfre Woodard. No. A Razzie nom for Cuba Gooding. That's not fair. No, the dude, the Razzies are fucking junk. An SB Award nomination. SB <laughs> Award for Best Sports Movie. But here's the best, all right? So the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards. He was nominated for Worst Actor, but he was also nominated for Worst On-Screen Couple. And this is the part where I laugh because I went, Worst On-Screen Couple for radio? Like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> this is what it says for Worst On-Screen Couple. Cuba Good Jr. and anyone forced to co-star with him. <laughs> oh, no. That's pretty fun. Oh. I appreciate some good shit talking. Oh, that's so good. Uh, anyways, uh, Rigby, you have any hot takes on why you love radio? The other Rigby would probably still love this movie, so it's important that you clear the air. No, I Ed Ed Harris as the head coach is great casting. Otherwise, no, I have no interest in rewatching this movie. I think I saw it in two thousand three, and I haven't seen it since. No, this movie sucks. <laughs> we gonna be on the ESPN. Was nominated for an SP. Uh, now that we've fully eviscerated radio as as it should be, 2004, she played Alice in Eulogy, a movie that that Craig reviewed on the Zoe Deschanel episode. It's about family come together for the funeral where they burn. Maybe I reviewed it. Did you review that or did I review that? I think I did. One of us did review this. They burn their father on like a funeral pyre on the lake at the end of the movie. I feel bad because I almost made the same joke about you googly. <laughs> That's right. You googly? Yeah, I think I did review this. I don't remember her in it, but I remember the movie. I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember her in it. It's a dark picture. It's the best way to put it. It's a very dark picture. 2005, she plays Prudence, a, a basically UN diplomat in Sometimes in April, a pretty powerful film about the Tutsis and Hutu um, genocide in Rwanda that I had seen before. Idris Elba is the main star in that film, and I rewatched it. You don't watch it for Deborah, but it's a obviously a pretty dark time in modern history, and it's a good flick. Of 2005 as well, she played... Anna in Dawn Anna, Emmy-nominated TV uh, movie role where she plays the mother of a Columbine shooting victim. So very upbeat type of movie. I wouldn't. Ima- I'm just kidding. Not not upbeat at all. Arliss was also uh, attached to this as well, but I did not watch it. But I know that she got a little awards love for her role in this film. It'd be funny if you were like a campy farce of a movie, uh, really, <laughs> really lighthearted. You know, just gone. <laughs> a lighthearted school violence picture. That's exactly what Aubrey needed to walk back into, is us talking about school violence. This was a Lifetime movie? 
I don't know if it was on Lifetime. It was a TV movie where she got an Emmy nomination. I would imagine it would have to be something like Lifetime if she's getting an Emmy. Yeah, it's on it's on YouTube if people want to check it out. I just never, didn't get around to it. Nope. I was too busy watching Wilder Napalm and Shadowlands and Everybody Wins, you know? We had a lot in radio. <laughs> to Casey's point, this is good for his months and meters. She wrote a book called Undiscovered in 2008. But any excerpts, James slash Case? I'm sure James pulled a lot from it. He usually does. You would be incorrect. I was too hung up on all the drama in the mid-80s. I didn't make it to recent time drama. <laughs> well, that's that's fair enough. But wrote a book. So that's worth a couple points in Case's months and meter, usually. Mm-hmm. 2010, she was the executive producer for an Oscar-nominated documentary called Gasland. So putting some of her money where her mouth is and doing some documentary work. We've seen that quite a bit with performers after they've made their money investing it back into passion projects like that. Another crossover with Gabriel Byrne in 2010's TV show In Treatment. She played Francis in seven episodes there. So the Burnaholics, you've had a place today. And then a show that I watched one episode of and I gave up because I am not the target demographic for it, and that is The Ranch uh, from 2016 to 2020. She did 65 episodes with Case's favorite actor, Ashton Kutcher. I I watched one episode of this when it first came out. I hated it. It's a very abnormal Netflix show, because it is just dripping with the stench of bad sitcom. Mm -hmm. What I was doing some research on as we were getting ready for this it's the third longest running Netflix series with 80 episodes. Whoa. That's insane. I did not expect to hear that. The first episode is so conservative, clickbaity. I was just like, I can't. Sam Elliott, every joke and comment he makes is just like, let's write it to like the conservative dad in middle America and like the what are the political bullshit things he would say. And I was like, I can't do it. I, the, the, re- the research is not. Is it worse than the Tim Allen vehicle Last Man Standing? <laughs> Where he, he basically just plays like a MAGA MAGA guy from the get-go? I didn't watch that either, so I can't give oh. you a comparative analysis on that one. So bad. I mean, the easiest way for me to sum it up is everything you think positively about Netflix TV shows, this has none of it in there. <laughs> like the, the awful laugh tracks, the attempt yes. at humor that goes really poorly. Ashton Kutcher's not Danny Masterson, which that doesn't age well in the slightest bit. It's, it's never a good sign that leading stars gets taken off the show halfway through for uh, two rape charges. I imagine Deborah living on a farm was like, okay, again, TV, when you're trying to raise a family and you're like, it's easy. It's just an easier schedule to do this kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. To that point, Kyle, I'd bet that there's probably some excitement for her to work with Sam Elliott because the two of them have had pretty parallel careers, you know, at least up until the time she stepped away. So she probably was excited to uh, maybe work with him. I don't know. That's pure speculation, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I just hated the writing. So I it was too spot on. Like it was it was placating and I don't do well with that kind of writing. And I don't do well with sitcoms. So I was I was out early. Deborah was lovely and pleasant in the moment she was on the screen, but it was very limited in that first episode. It was very much setting up a father-son tension and dynamic. Yeah. Just peppered with what your uncle, your 72-year-old uncle would say at a Thanksgiving. Just take that and put it on a TV show and you've got, you've got drama, baby. Last review is Largest Critic Gap, and it's, it's the film The Lovers. 
where she played Mary and James has it. Yeah, so Lovers came out in 2017. Um, it's got an 82% critic score and a 42% audience score. So 40-point swing, which is pretty large. Uh, I would say that's on average probably around the larger sides that we get, in a gap at least. It stars Deborah Winger and Tracy Letts. And Tracy Letts is the dad from Lady Bird. Great actor. He plays Henry Ford II in Ford vs. Ferrari. Yeah, I actually really like him. I've only seen him in a few things, but I've liked him in everything I've seen. I think he ended up winning a Tony for Broadway show. I don't remember. They play a married couple that live together, and it's immediately evident that they're clearly estranged from one another. They are both having long-standing extramarital affairs. Uh, Deborah Winger with Littlefinger from Game of Thrones and Tracy Letts with Anna's mom from Pen15. I don't know the actors' real names, but I do like both of those characters and, and I like both of those shows. But that's who they're with. Both of the main characters' affairs have kind of progressed to the point where their lovers are serious about them being exclusive and both emphatically demand that they break up their marriage. And I'll give the movie credit. It does put an interesting twist on the relationship genre because when the passion between the two leads kind of inexplicably reignites, they find themselves essentially cheating on their respective lovers by being with their actual spouse, which I think is an interesting concept, right? However, that's about all I liked about the movie. I have no idea why the trailer presents this as like a quirky, light, fun movie when it's far from it. It's a dark relationship drama that kind of comes across like a stage play. And if you've listened to me review one of those before, you know that's a real tour for me to get through. I hate that style of movie. And this one was no different. You are essentially a voyeur into two very unlikable main characters. And then you watch kind of the complexity of their love lives. I can get why critics convince themselves that they like stuff like this, but it's just not for me. Even with the cool kind of perspective twists that they put on the relationship genre, sometimes I feel like when I watch a movie like this and I read other people's reviews and they're like, they use words like complex and nuance when describing a movie like this, I feel. I feel like everyone else looks at a movie like this and they're like more like tedious and slow. Like not everything is like super deep and poetic. Sometimes it's just like, oh yeah, these are bad people in a bad relationship. What I will say though is that the chemistry between Winger and Letty is like the the glue that holds the movie together and is the only reason why it works at all. So I will give them credit, but other than that, I would firmly side with the audience, maybe a little higher, but I'd be at like a 49%. As much as this isn't James' type of movie, this is 100% my type of movie. This is you. Yeah. And <laughs> I just, I couldn't make time for it. And I'm, I'm really disappointed because I, I watched the trailer and everything and I was all in. I just didn't have time for it. I think I liked it more than you, James. I didn't love it. I wouldn't go in the 80 range. I'm more of like a 65 to 70 person here. Because I think I've I've seen couples that are like this, and that them coming back together and and finding each other, it isn't really truly meant to be. Like we need to just cut the cord on this thing. Like I can kind of relate to that half of it. Right. I, I I did think that was a cool twist, and I think with the cheating on the people they're cheating on, cool twists, and also realistic with the 
hey, like we do like each other, but this isn't going to work out. Totally understand. But like, I, the whole time I'm just like, who am I rooting for here? I don't like any of these people. It was like, like Aiden Gillen, maybe? I don't know. No. Yeah. That's the Irish actor. Yeah. That's the Irish actor. Yeah. Littlefinger. Yeah. The world does need more Tracy Letts in movies, though. I agree. I agree. It was like the like a four or five year heater for him, where it was like this Lady Bird, The Post, Ford versus Ferrari, Little Women. I mean, these are all like very much acclaimed movies. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, "No, I'm gonna instead of acting, I'm gonna go write more plays." So I feel like he hasn't been on screen a lot lately. Maybe I'm missing something, but you know, this is a pretty good stretch. He wrote The Woman in the Window, which did not get received very well. Oh god. Yeah. Yeah, that's awful. That didn't go over well. But yeah. I think it's it's interesting to watch, especially if you just want to see Tracy and Deborah. Like Deborah in her latter years of her career d- doing some dramatic work. What 40, 30, 40 years? 40 years later? A shocking amount of sex in this movie for a movie <laughs> that involves a lot of old people. There's just there's constant fuck it kind of round this thing out so the last few years here in terms of what's been keeping her busy she was in four episodes of when we rise in 2017 as justice elena kagan so taking on a pretty like significant role there as one of the supreme court justices in that show she played bernice in patriot in 2018 yeah it's one of my favorite shows to recommend to people it's almost hypnotic but it's a very strange i was trying to remember her character so I was trying to look it up, and a, a headline in one of the articles I found said, Tom Clancy meets the Coen brothers in Amazon's eccentric spy game, Patriot. And that is very accurate. It has a very interesting just take on this genre, and it, you can't tell if it's a comedy, if it's a drama, if it's... It's a very, very interesting show. And I think there's like two seasons of 10 episodes and in season two, she's added to the cast. If I remember right, she's kind of like a just a very quiet but yet powerful mother figure. And the whole show revolves around Michael Dorman plays a character named John Tavner. Both seasons are about him, and he's like this reluctant spy. It's a really, really good show, and it's crazy to me that not enough people have heard of this. So uh, another recommendation I have, if you're listening to this, check out The Patriot on Amazon Prime. Ace, I feel like you always have a show from like the last seven years that pe- people haven't heard about. And then you're like, yeah, you should check this out. Like pretty consistently. It means I have shit for taste. <laughs> no, I don't The way you sold that, you sold me. Would you say uh, Tom Clancy meets the Cullen brothers? That's like extremely my shit. That's a very accurate description of it too. That sounds like burn after reading. Great movie. Yeah, which I loved. Almost like a series version of that show. I hope you guys appreciated the Brad Pitt-ism I was doing on the screen there. Yes, I saw it. (laughs) Still got it, Kyle. His best role. I don't care what anybody else says. His best role he's ever had. Interesting. I watched that movie for, for the first time like a few months ago because people online said it is the most, is the best out of character role they've seen from an actor was Brad Pitt in that movie. And I watched it and <laughs> he fucking kills the whole movie. 2020 though. I will, 
I will say I can get why people don't love the lovers. I'm a, such a huge fan of 2020's Kajillionaire. Um, she plays Teresa, the mother, alongside Richard Jenkins in this film. Kajillionaire was, a, I, I saw this at Sundance, and I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. And her and Richard Jenkins play two of the worst parents you will ever see on screen. They're awful, awful humans. And so I could see why people might not like it, because they are such terrible people. But I think they both do very well in that role. I remember the buzz of this movie, because it did well at Sundance. But it's also... This is Evan Rachel Wood. Evan Rachel Wood, yeah. Of Westworld. Doing something kind of quirky. I haven't seen this movie yet. I really wanted to see it when it came out. I watched a trailer for it and was like, I'm not in the right headspace for this. <laughs> so I didn't watch. It's about a family who live in like a, a dilapidated office building for cheap because they can, because the water and suds from the car wash next door seep through the wall. And they are just like slimy, shysty people. And it's about Evan Rachel Wood's character, like figuring out that her parents don't really give a shit about her and Richard Jenkins and Deborah Winger are the parents. And they're just truly terrible people. I'm not going to spoil anything because I don't know for those who haven't seen anything. haven't seen the movie, but highly recommend people check it out. It goes to show that, she still got it as much as I want to say it with the ranch, but like Deborah's still pretty darn good at her craft, even this many years later. Um, last few though, here a couple TV shows. So, Ultra City Smiths, she plays Trish, six episodes of that from 2021. Show alongside her boy JGL in Mr. Corman on Apple TV, she plays Ruth, uh, also from 2021, four episodes of that. Directed and written, created by jo- JGL. So it's a JGL vehicle. I got to re-rank him. Mm-hmm. Dude's still been doing pretty cool work. All right. Uh, top performances, Case. What do we got? I'm interested to see. The list that we got, Deborah Winger's top movies. It's May 12th, 2023. We have talked about every movie on here except for one. And it is ranked one through ten. And it is courtesy of Gold Derby. Reputable. Can I take a guess? Yes, please. Hickman, you may have mentioned it, but was it is it Rachel getting married? From the cheap seats. Yeah. Look at that. That's what I was gonna guess. Rigby throws out, hey, I'm gonna spin in circles, I'm gonna close my eyes, and I'm gonna throw the ball in from a from a half court shot. Nailed it, but that's number five. Okay. Rachel getting married is number five. Rachel getting married is awesome. It is so good. Anne Hathaway is it's it's the best Anne Hathaway performance ever. It has the best use of a Neil Young song in any movie. So, and it's directed by Jonathan Demme, the director of uh, Silence of the Lambs. It's really, really good. Fucked up taking that one off the show notes. 120 minutes of a straight dysfunctional family, but really, really, really good. Because Anne Hathaway plays like a fucking burnout in that movie, right? Yeah, she's she's in rehab, and basically her sister's getting married. And- just to get out of rehab for the for the weekend to travel there and it's like her returning home and it's just a fucking like like viper's nest of of shit but really good she was nominated for an oscar for it so yeah makes sense that's why rigby's here so number five's off the board urban cowboy baby urban cowboy is number three let me forget paris come on forget paris is come on down there number six yeah let's go Great list. Officer and a Gentleman. Officer and a Gentleman is 
number two. And I'm going to go with Terms of Endearment, number one. Yeah, it's gonna Terms be- of Endearment is numero uno. Oh, we missed a number four. So we have one, two, three, five, and six. We're missing number four. Does E.T. count? Don't you say a damn thing. <laughs> no, it doesn't, does not count. Uh, give me Thank God It's Friday. I bet it cracks the top ten. Yeah, I was going to say the disco, the disco picture. Thank God It's Friday is not on the list. Ah, oh. Hurts my soul. Cajillionaire. Ooh, that'd be fun. Cajillionaire is? I bet it's not. Not on the list. Hmm. If radio is on that fucking list. <laughs> no, no radio is not on the list. There's probably two movies you guys might disagree with, but otherwise, everything we've talked about, I think, lands on this list well. Shadowlands. Shadowlands is number four. Uh-huh. Give me Wilder Napalm better be on that list. Come on, baby. Wilder Napalm is? Hit me with it. Not on the list. How about Black Widow? That probably is. Black Widow is not on the list. Whoa. How about Legal Eagles? <laughs> Legal Eagles is not on the list. Damn. A Dangerous Woman's definitely on there. I feel it in my bones. A Dangerous Woman is number seven. Yuck. She got some award love. One movie that we talked about like with, with some depth, another movie we mentioned, and a third movie we actually reviewed. The Lovers. Oh, my God. The Lovers is not on the list. Oh, never mind. If everybody wins is on this list, case, I'm going to freak out. Everybody loses if it is. Yeah. Everybody wins or loses is not on the list. Thank you. I guess the Sheltering Sky then would be that. Yeah, it's got to be Sheltering Sky. Sheltering Sky is number nine. I mean, she's good in the movie. I just hate the story and the characters. So we got number 10 and number 8. And I think I probably liked number 8 more than anybody else did. Leap of Faith is number 8, then. Leap of Faith is number 8. Yep. All right. And the one that we have not gotten to, we just briefly talked about it, was Betrayed. And that it comes in at number 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah. According to... Gold Derby, Winger is always at her best playing conflicted characters, and few are more conflicted than FBI agent Kathy Weaver slash Katie Phillips, who goes undercover in a small farm town. So apparently this role played into her strengths, and they loved it. Decent role, bad movie. That's what it comes down to. Yes. So, yep. yep. Okay. That's a pretty solid top ten. I mean, there's there's a lot of good flicks and roles in that, in that role. So Yeah. All right. Thanks, Case. All right, we're going to get into this Munson meter. So what we do, we rate every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 that could, based on a variety of factors that could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, their personal life, comedic chops, box office success, and anything else that matters to us as Moonsons. So I, I guess I get the honor and pressure of going first here. It's always hard. It's hard to rate someone like Deborah Winger. Because she doesn't necessarily do well with my scale and what I rate people on. But I think she yeah. she has a lot of impact. But again, it's just, she's a fascinating person. So first and foremost, she's been directed by eight Oscar-winning filmmakers, which I know we didn't mention. I thought I think that's kind of banana, bonanza. Yeah. The roles she's missed out on because of injuries or scheduling conflicts or personality issues, I think is just really fascinating. Some off-the-screen stuff. That doesn't really aid into my score very much, but... I think it's interesting. The three Oscar noms are hard to ignore, right? She didn't win any, but at least she was recognized three different times. 
Um, I wish I saw more characters like her roles in Wilder Napalm and even Everybody Wins, like just with a different level of energy and not that she didn't do well in the other roles. It was just like a she fit a particular typecast and she was a pretty significant leading woman in Hollywood. But I, I like character actors. I like seeing some different things happen. But that's just me. But I'm not going to shit on her just bodying most of the roles she's in. I think she's just got a ton of impact with, with less than 50 credits. And like James said, she is consistently ornery every step of her career on, off the screen in interviews. And I, I respect it, even though it's created a lot of enemies for her. She hasn't been everybody's best friend over the years, but uh, consistency is key there. But like I said, my scale doesn't necessarily help her a ton because like pop culture impact, she has pop culture impact, but for very specific demographics. And otherwise, like if you ask Aubrey's students, not a single one of them would know who Deborah Winger is. TikTok, ticky tocky people have not picked up on Deborah Winger. Maybe that's what she needs for a second wind, but she just doesn't have much pop culture impact today. So, with that said, I, I'm I'm going to give her what I think is a pretty respectable score. I'm going to give her 71 for somebody who's been doing it as long as she has. 71 feels right, but sh- taking a break and kind of stepping away and some of the problems she's had, I can't really go in much higher than that. All right, John, our uh, guest Munson. Oh, I'm 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 pretty close to you. I I. Not to quote Neil Young for the second time in ten minutes, but I guess the question I find myself <laughs> I find myself asking is it better to burn out than it is to fade away? And I think the first ten years of her career are so incredible. I mean, Urban Cowboy is still, I think, considered one of the all time sort of romantic dramas of that era. Terms of Endearment, Officer and Gentleman were both, like I said earlier, huge cultural global phenomenons. But I do think her, you know, cantankerous nature off screen might might hurt her a little bit here. But I, the the power of those first three movies has a lot of weight for me. And I think her, you know, her finding it sort of unique space in 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 her more independent films and then some of the TV stuff she's done. I'm gonna go with a 73 for Deborah Winger. I love it. I love it. Love it. Pace. Use the word cantankerous. I had a glass of wine, so I might be wrong, but I think that's it. That's a man of culture. I object. I object. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you guys have talked about. The only things I'll add are, I think what's hilarious is when she's doing these interviews and she's ornery and she's just tough to work with. I think that's seems pretty accurate to who she is. And so if that's the case, Deborah Winger's got range for days. She can turn it on and off and and be an incredible actor. I've got no problems with her range. I've got no problems with her performances, even in bad movies. I mean, we only talked about, you know, 40 movies or so. And not once where we're like, yeah, she sucked. Everybody else sucked too, but she sucked. I mean, every time we t- we brought up a bad movie, it was like, bad movie, but Deborah Winger was pretty good. I don't love the reputation that she has probably earned about being difficult because of the advice she was given by Jack Nicholson. We don't know the whole story. We just kind of know what she allows to be out there, which in hindsight, I think is pretty cool. So I'm not necessarily a huge fan of Deborah Winger, but I certainly appreciate her work and, and her range. And I'm going to give her a 78. Aubrey, you guys covered all of the, the extra stuff and covered the on-screen stuff pretty well. I went from not knowing who this person was to legitimately becoming a fan of her work in this amount of time. I I was blown away. 
And maybe that it's an expectations thing or just an, an ignorance thing. But I was completely blown away. I think she is very, very talented. And so, you know, that's what I'm that's what I'm doing. I'm looking at the work, what she does, how she manages it, the range. Is she leading? Is it a supporting role? She does a lot of these different things. Yeah. She's across genres. She's a part of big things too, like that resonate with an older crowd, sure, but still, you know, Urban Cowboy's a thing. In terms of endearment is a thing. These are movies that like are instantly recognizable for her, which also matters. In these movies, she's the best part of them. And Case made a great point that she's even good in bad movies, which is, you know, the more and more that we do this, the more and more I respect that. Yeah. When you're good in bad movies. Because it's easy to get lost in a bad movie. I was blown away. I I think she's great. I think what hurts her is just, just there's not a large enough catalog of it. That break ends up killing it, and then the stuff post break hasn't been extraordinary or even enough to draw me to want to see it, which is a little disappointing. But she's a person that I'll fill in more gaps on. I'll go watch her more, and I'll revisit this stuff because I am legitimately a fan. So with all that, I land right around where Case is at. I'm at a 77. All right, James, round us out. I'll give her some slack on being kind of touted as being hard to work with because she was coming up as the young, hot it girl during the last hurrah of blatant sexualization and sexual assaults from producers and actors in Hollywood. Like accurate. Yeah. When you hear her talk about officer and a gentleman, it sounds like she was like legit going to war every day on like a Harvey Weinstein project with Don Simpson trying, who's a producer trying to like bang her every day. And she's like, and I was pretty much just telling these dudes to fuck off. And then I started telling everyone to fuck off. And I got this, you know, kind of rep of being hard to work with. And so I'll give her credit there. Yeah. But I also think she kind of comes across a little bit like the person who says like, you know, what people don't like about me is I keep it real. And normally that person's just kind of a dickhead. (laughs) And I think there's a nuance there where it's like, you can be proudly authentically yourself and still sometimes be a bitch. Yeah. And like those two things can be true. Like you can, you can tell Harvey Weinstein to go fuck himself. And you could also be like incredibly rude to Madonna. You know, it's like those things can <laughs> coexist. And so I find her as a person very fascinating. All of her interviews, you should look them up. They're so cringy and funny. I would watch. Yeah. I haven't found one yet where I was like, wow, I bet the interviewer think they did a great job. Every interviewer goes <laughs> down in flames. <laughs> I don't know. I like, I kind of respect the fuck it all mentality. And I do agree. I think every movie I saw her and she was pretty good. Three Oscar nominations. I give her a little bit more weight. I think I weight the Oscars too heavy with my scores, but I give her a little bit more. I'm going to give her 72. With that, that gives Deborah winger 74.2, which puts her in 46th place between Chris Hemsworth and Christina Applegate. So slightly higher than her box office score, which we've been like almost spot on the past like three episodes. And we're seeing there's a little bit of diversion from that. About 6% off. That's not bad. I mean, back probably close to where Aubrey thought she would be. Okay. Aubrey, 
what does she got coming? And unless you could find something I couldn't, I don't know if she has anything else on the radar. Nothing. I couldn't find anything, which is sad, though. I would I want to see more. And so it is a little disappointing that there isn't anything here. And there hasn't been for a couple years now. Hey, there's a shot that she's going to take to YouTube and do a video response to this podcast and <laughs> roast us. <laughs> Who knows? My honor. I would lovingly interview her. Absolutely. There is nothing I would enjoy more. James would be like, holy fuck, this is the biggest job interview of my life right now to have to interview Deborah Winger. <laughs> For real. That would test your, your research skills, though. Let her just dissect every question I bring up in a way that makes me just want to crawl into a ball and die. <laughs> hey, Deborah, what was the one... What were... Three words that came to mind when you heard our episode and what we refer, how we referred to you. Uh, fucking assholes die. Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Fair point. So next episode is going to hit on March 21st. And we've got Mike Vandevort coming back. And he was with us for the Anthony Mackey and Gina Davis episodes. Um, like Mike, he's, he, he, works, he does Zooming the movies and does a lot of voice acting interesting guy the wheel selected one of these five and mike decided to join us these are the five actors that the wheel was considering f murray abraham who we mentioned earlier or john did roger bart ed harris cole meany and emma stone what do we like or dislike about that list i mean two of my favorite tv shows are represented here cole meany is great in hell on wheels James obviously knows where I'm going with Emma Stone. So those would be my two votes. Emma Stone is going to win the Oscar for Best Actress this year for Poor Things because she is unbelievable in that movie. Well deserved. Probably going to win the Emmy, too, for Best Actress in The Curse. Also be well deserved. I think she's on track to be one of the greats, so I would love to cover her. Yep. You know, Rigby's now with us right now, so we can watch La La Land in peace. You know, so we're good there. (laughs) I I like that movie. Um, but with the other one, the the other Rigby, the dead one, the dead one, the dead one. <laughs> Please make sure if you do Emma Stone, you talk about the uh, Cameron Crowe disaster Aloha, which is just oh a yeah, terrible movie, just an absolutely brutal picture. I'd like to do Cole Meany. I don't know a ton about the guy. I just know if you see him in so many different movies over the years, it's just like the grouchy guy. And we Conair again. We get another chance to talk about Conair. Oh yeah, yeah. I think he's a pilot in Die Hard Two, which is really exciting. Yes. Yep. Yep. Ed Harris is really exciting. Of course, Ed, I think him and Emma Stone are my top picks. I actually wouldn't mind the other ones, but those are the two I'd be the most excited for. Ed Harris. We finally get some national treasure on this damn podcast. What the world needs. The Rock. I've got hot takes. A national treasure, of course. Mm-hmm. A, a movie beloved by white people. You're going to tear it down. I understand, <laughs> Dick. Yeah, I'm, I'll be ready to defend their honor if that's the case. Ed Harris is fantastic. Also, somebody that's notorious for being a little bit difficult to work with on sets as well. So we wouldn't skip a beat there. It can't be Ed Harris because he's got like four thousand movies. I don't. I can't say one way or the other if he does or doesn't because that would tip my hat on who it is. So. He's not the only one on this list with that many credits. Roger Barr would be my least favorite, but I guess I'd get a chance to watch Hostel again. <laughs> Hostel's great. It was very vindicating in theaters when I saw it a couple times. I don't know what else Roger Bard is in, though. 
Or do I? And I'm just playing coy. You just don't really know with me. I just know his eyebrows. The producers. That's right. He's in the producers. He has a good one. That. James, most actors love it when their eyebrows are recognizable. So that works. You know what out. I'm saying? Like, I don't know who he was. And then I Googled it. I was like, oh, I know that dude. Oh, he's in Screen, Ki- Screen Queens with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, too. That's a good show. Desperate Housewives, I remember him from as well, back in the day. Any hot takes on F. Murray Abraham, our uh, Amadeus actor? I know White Lotus is the big one lately. Yeah, he's, he's funny in White Lotus. This is probably not good, because people should probably mention Amadeus with him, but I, the movie I think of with F. Murray is 13 Ghosts with Matthew Lillard, which oh, yeah. I always really enjoyed. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a good, bad movie. That movie's wild. All right, so who do we think Mike Vandevort would choose? Mackie and Gina Davis were the two choices. Ooh, so who did he who did he have a uh, beer with at a random bar in West Virginia? Is the question. <laughs> Ed Harris. <laughs> yeah, it's Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Yeah, I'm feeling Ed Harris on that. That'd be a good one. All right, John Rigby. Who would you pick? If you had your choice. Probably Ed Harris. But but the Emma Stone the Emma Stone call makes sense. I mean, Ephraim Abraham is interesting. It's just I feel like he's been in the game so long, but I'm like struggling. I mean, obviously his best actor role, but other than that, it's like I basically just know him in like these kind of weird side parts. Mm-hmm. So I'd say Ed Harris. I'd say Ed Harris. But that that's going to be like a ten hour long episode for you guys. So sorry. <laughs> John Rigby, so the alive Rigby doesn't decide, the dead Rigby doesn't decide, Mike Vandevort doesn't decide, the uh, the wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. Well, speaking of, uh, John, we've kind of reached the top of the mountaintop. You know how we go. We usually give you a chance to kind of drop a plug, say thank you. If you have any wise words for our audience, the floor is yours, my friend. Sure. Thanks, guys. Yeah, no plugs here. Just always a lot of fun to banter for a couple hours, and I really appreciate the chance again. And Always looking forward to hearing from Kyle to to see when the next opportunity will be. So thanks again. And if you're ever in Vegas, let me know. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. Aubrey, we can bet on the the high school high school uh, basketball games. <laughs> I'm with it. Aubrey can't, but I can. You might be limited there, but yeah. Case <laughs> next time you're out throwing money down on high school hoops. Now, John, we love having you, man. Yeah. Awesome. I love the just incredible knowledge of 80s and 90s movies you have. It's so much fun. As my mom said, if uh, if I could somehow bottle that into actually knowing shit about important stuff, I would have gotten a straight A's from Harvard. But instead, it's sport, sports trivia and like 80s and 90s stupid pop culture shit. <laughs> hey, we'll take it. We'll take it. Applied here rigorously. So, <laughs> Well, thanks, guys. Always fun. Absolutely. Well, as we wrap up, you can catch us on X slash Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on the gram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Deborah Winger? Nominated for an Oscar in the last 10 years. Not invited to the ceremony. Available, no projects. In the right restaurant at the right time. Well, you can understand why I feel so special tonight. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? I'm Landfill's twin brother, Gil. If it wouldn't be too uncomfortable, I was hoping maybe you guys could call me Landfill in honor of him. Yeah, sure, sure. Sure. It would be like we never lost Landfill. <laughs>